Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. The scripture reading this morning before the sermon comes from the book of Joshua, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourself twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. And this, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? You shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Which open God's book to Matthew chapter 7. The entire lesson will be coming from this passage, and so if you'll turn your Bibles there, you'll have a copy of the outline of this sermon. So glad to see you. Um, now, kids, um, I, a lot of the sermons that I preach have to do with you in some way. I think of this sermon as being particularly applicable to you, and so while it's for the whole church, I really want you to pay attention. What I'm thinking about right now is that, and I know this is kind of hard to imagine for you because you're young and you, most of you, if not all of you, rode together to worship with your parents this morning. It won't be very long before that will not be true. And coming to worship on the Lord's Day and at other times in the week will be solely your decision. Being a Christian, having faith, Obeying Jesus Christ will not be your parents' decision anymore. It will be just your decision. And so, for that reason, drink this in. Let it go deep into your hearts. If you built a house in Palestine, in the lower part of Israel down there that I've been talking about lately, it's just so dry. When you look at the ground that Abraham walked on, you just can't believe anything would grow down there. I mean, it's just rock and dirt and dust, and it's, it's incredibly dry. When you go up on Masada, it's, it, is, it is a city that's built on the top of a rock mountain, and there's, there's no water anywhere. Almost true. And I've been talking about this lately, that the way they would overcome that and live in those places is by digging those deep cisterns. Now that that's sort of a segue to bring us into this, this chapter. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24, Jesus is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. What he's having to talk about here is applicable not just to the sermon itself, but to the whole New Testament. 
Whoever hears these sayings of mine, verse 24, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house on a rock. Now, if you lived in that part of the world, and, and, and if you live there now, it's very important to talk about water. They talk about water all the time. Water is very critical. The way you have the water is when the, when the rain comes once or twice a year. It comes in torrents. It comes with a mighty, mighty wind. And it comes with, with uh, just waves of water that pour down from the sky. And they capture it in the cisterns. And that's how they are sustained, sustained for the rest of the year. If you were building a house in that part of the world you'd have to make sure that it would withstand a storm like that because it's going to happen. I know, I know, sometimes you and I wonder about people who build their houses down in these coastal regions in the U.S., and they know that those areas are prone to hurricanes, and every couple of years, three years, you know, we have a bad one that comes in and sweeps away the houses, and you've got to wonder about what kind of house you'd build there or if you would build there. Jesus uses that concept here at the end of the sermon to glue into our minds this, this fundamental principle. I think about preaching and I think about how that sometimes from this pulpit I talk about single verses. You preach, you just take apart the verse word by word or sometimes a whole sermon on just a couple of words. But then there are other times like today when it's really important to take a bird's eye view and that's what I want to do, a bird's eye view of our faith and of who we are. And so when Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount, that's what he does. All right, that sets the table for the sermon. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house on a rock. Now, appreciate everybody there understood this. Everybody listening at the sermon, they got this would build his house on a rock. The rain descended. The floods came. That's what happens. The floods came, the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it stood because it was founded on a rock. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them not, I will liken him unto a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, Appreciate, please, that what Jesus is saying here is identical for both houses. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when people heard him preach like this, they said, he preaches with authority and not like the scribes. He's, he's different. Yeah, he, he was different, all right. Now, here's the, here are the three points for this sermon this morning. I'm going to give you the outline. Number one, life on the rock. Number two is going to be life on the sand. The last point will be life in the storm. Let's talk about the rock. To understand this, what you have to do is to get into the heads of the ancients. The idea of rocks as symbols are often found in the Old Testament and the New Testament alike. For example, when you go to Genesis chapter 34, you have Jacob and Laban. Now, Laban is Jacob's father-in-law. Laban is the, the daddy of Rachel and Leah. And he and Jacob have not gotten along. I mean, they, they worked together. You have those seven years for Rachel, but it turns into Leah, you know, and then seven more years of working, and then they still work together. And it's a mess. It, it just, it's just awful. 
and all the conflicts that they have. Well, now Jacob has gathered his people together and he's, he's leaving. Laban comes and Laban proposes that they bury the hatchet. And so they do. They're going to make a covenant between them that, that I'm okay with you, you're okay with me, and I'll bring the grandchildren to see you. And, and uh, Jacob goes and gets a large stone and he sets it up as a memorial. And they gather other stones, and the New King James refers to that as a heap of stones. I don't know how big a heap of stones is, but they, they stack some stones, and they name it. Each of them names the pile of stones, and then they eat their meal there. Now, it's very much like a contract that we would sign. We would put our name signatures on a contract and put it in a safe somewhere just so that we would have it. What they are doing is, is gathering stones together. The point was that this would be... Enduring. It would be enduring. It would last a long time. And any time you, you looked at those, those stones, you'd say, that represents that covenant that we made. All right? There was, there was solid ground there. Dependability. And you find the same thing when you go to Joshua chapter 4. This one's just fascinating. We had a part read just a moment ago. When you talk about the crossing over Jordan to get into the promised land, the land of Canaan, and when the priests who were bearing the Ark of the Covenant, their feet touch the Jordan, the Jordan opens up, and they walk across on dry land. When they get to the other side, Joshua says, I want one man out of every tribe to take a stone and put it on his shoulder. So you can kind of imagine, this is not a baseball-sized rock. This is something that would be heavier than that. And so 12 men gather 12 stones from the bed of the Jordan, the dry bed there, and they stack them in the place where they're, they're staying, the camp. And this, he says, is for this reason. When your children see this pile of stones and they ask, you tell them, this was to represent when God brought us over into this land. You, you, you think about Genesis 15 that I talked about last week, and you got a 400-year time here that they would be in Egyptian bondage and now they've been delivered and now they're coming into the land of Canaan all the history that is behind this they're coming into Canaan and they stack rocks as a memorial they're going to take those rocks with them now let me give you one more parenthetical note about this Joshua then goes and this is the part that we miss in this passage I think in, in Joshua 4 sometimes is that Joshua then goes and he takes 12 other stones and stacks them in the riverbed where the, the priest's feet touched when they carried the Ark of the Covenant. Where their feet first touched, he stacked 12 more. But now it's going to be underwater. And when the, when the Jordan rushes back in and overflows its banks, it covers, it covers up these 12. There's, it's a separate 12 stones. What for? And the Bible doesn't say. I believe it's this. You have... Through Scripture, in, in our text this morning about the two houses, one built on the rock, one built on the sand, you have Matthew chapter 25, the sheep and the goats. And when you're coming into Canaan, I believe it's a very similar thing. You have people who cross over Jordan to the promised land. They come by God's grace over to the other side, and God is blessing them with this new home. But then there would be people who would reject and who never will have, never would accept the grace and mercy of God. And they are represented, I would suggest, by those 12 stones that are covered up in that Jordan River. And I suppose those stones are there today. 
When you go then to describing God, now I'm talking about the rock and how ancients viewed the rock or rocks. You go to 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 2. Look at this description of God. None is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. What does it mean? It means that, that what you have in this life that is sure is the almighty God. He is your rock. Psalm 28, 1. To you I will cry, O Lord, my rock. Do not be silent to me. God is your rock. Go to chapter 68 of Psalm. Or 61, rather. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Your heart ever overwhelmed? What are you going to do about that? And the answer is, you do what I do. Your prayer becomes very deep. And you reach for the rock that's higher than you. You depend on the salvation that is in God. The, the, the dependability, the security that we have in God. How about Psalm 89 and 26? You are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Drink that in. Take that into your heart. What do you have that's real? What do you have that's enduring that will never change? And the answer is, your God. He is the rock. Now, it wouldn't surprise you then if I pointed out that in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the rock. So here's 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. All were baptized. And this is having to do with the people of Israel crossing over the Red Sea when they were leaving Egypt. They were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That is to say that they were immersed, as it were, in God's care there. And they ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. No surprise about that. And for the same reason that God, the Father, is our rock. When Jesus taught us about the church in Matthew 16, he said... On this rock, I will build my church. Now, folks, the rock in that passage is the reality that Jesus has just stated, which is that he is the son of God. On what is the church built? And the answer is on this reality that's never going to change. Jesus is the son of God. He is our rock. Our father in heaven is our rock. It would be wholly appropriate when you pray to refer to him well, by a number of different things. You, you could refer to, is it right to refer to God as your shepherd? Oh, yeah, I know that because the Lord is my shepherd, right? My God, my salvation, my father, is that right? Yes, all, all those things are true. Well, you could add to that list, he is my rock. What a practical reality. What does it mean? What, what, I mean, how, what verses can you think of that, that make this so very pragmatic for us? Well, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake thee, you so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Listen to Romans chapter 8 and verse 34, and this may be very familiar to you. He's talking about our, our security and our salvation. He's talking about life on the rock. And he says, who is it that condemns? <laughs> You've got to get that. What, what he's talking about is, is I'm a Christian, and I, I live in the storms of this life sometimes. And sometimes people have little regard for Christianity, particularly mine. And, and so what, 
Shouldn't I be concerned about that? Shouldn't I worry about that? And, and that is sort of a rhetorical question that Paul says is this, ask this. Who condemns you? Who is it? Well, what do you mean, Paul? I mean, who is it that has the power to make you afraid by condemning you? Now read on. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died. And furthermore, is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God. Who, where is he? He's at the right hand of God. He died for you and also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The point is, who condemns? Who will condemn you? Of whom will you be afraid? And the answer is, well, I'm on the rock. I, you know, I live on the rock. God's my rock. Christ is my rock. Who's going to condemn you? 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long. We've given everything to you. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know what you call that? You call it the house on the rock. You call it living on the rock. I'm living on the rock. Heaven and earth is going to pass away, but my words will never pass away, Jesus said. What is that? It's living on the rock. My house is built on the rock. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Are you ready for this? But God is faithful. What's that? It's the rock. But God is faithful. He won't permit you to be tempted above that you're able. It will, will with the temptation, make also a way of escape. My hope, my citizenship is in heaven. How important is that? I mean the rock. I mean in your life. How important is it that right now you're living on the rock, that your house is built on the rock? There's my confidence. There's my strength. There's my, there's my life. I am a servant of the Most High God, and that's what I'm going to be because he is my everything. Ultimately, here's what I've got. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Now, what that means, of course, in sort of practical terms, is that your funeral is going to be different from someone who doesn't live on the rock. I know, sometimes people kind of make believe at funerals, but God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And God, God doesn't, he's not fooled by that. You ever been to a purely secular funeral? Purely secular? Well, I have a few. It's a stirring thing, you know. No reference to God, no need to really reference God. The music is secular, and typically it will include some, some rendition of, I did it my way. Yeah, but you know, you know what? When you, when you distill that down, what you got is, is Matthew 7. What you've got is a house that was built on the sand, and the rain came. That's what happened. It, it's it's that rain, the, rain, the wind blew. That's what happened. And, and the house won't stand, you see. It won't stand when the wind blows hard. So here's, here's number one, is life on the rock. But now, let's go to number two. Life on the sand. Life, life on the sand. I really want to emphasize the fact that when you, 
have these two houses, the one on the rock, the one on the sand, they may really look alike. Maybe they were built by the same architect, the same drawings. The only difference is the foundation. In fact, you can't even see it. And in fact, if if, if I can stretch this just a little bit, it may be that the house on the sand has more curb appeal. It's a more beautiful house than the one on the rock. With me? I, I, not for myself, but for, for someone close to me. I was looking in the, online in the advertisements for houses for sale in Tennessee. And, and they're very expensive. I don't know if you know that, but houses, real estate has just gone crazy. And, and so in this particular area, that is especially true. And so I'm getting this education about real estate in this particular area. And, and I came across this house, and there's this picture of it online. It's a nice house. And you go down through the different things. I mean, so the bedrooms, the bathrooms, the colors, the roof, 50-year roof on top of that house. Got a yard. Everything's nice, but the price was way low. And I thought, wow, i got to get on this then I stopped, you know, that's what you do. You stop and you say, okay, wait a minute. Why does it say that it's been on the market for 35 days? In a market where if you post it now, in an hour, there's a mighty good chance you'll have five offers. And all five will be over the asking price. That's the market. And this one's been on the market a long time, and this doesn't make any sense. And your first, you know, your first reaction might be, hey, I saw it first and nobody else saw it. That's not true. That's not true. And you know where I'm going with this, because this, this really happens. So you read down through there, and it, it says in the fine print, by the way, the foundation has shifted, and the floors have cracked and are uneven. They can't sell that house. They can't give it away. You want to know? Well, now, wait a minute. Did I mention about the roof? Great roof. 50-year roof on top of that thing. And the colors, oh, had a, had a really uh, in, a wonderful decorator come in and choose the colors. They're the latest thing, and the new flooring is hardwood, real hardwood. That stuff's expensive. And the granite countertops, don't you know that that costs a lot of money? Come look at this house. Are you kidding? I don't want to waste my time. I'm not coming to that house. I wouldn't take it if you gave it to me. Because the foundation's bad. Jesus said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, I will liken him to a man who put his house, built his house on the sand. And again, the point is that the the house on the rock and the house on the sand may look identical. Or it could be that the house on the sand looks even more impressive, has a lot of amenities to it. But if it's on the sand and you know that those rains and storms are coming, when they come, they'll hit hard. They do it every year. Just about it. It's coming down. It's interesting in Scripture, and this is kind of a, I don't know, just an extra throw-in note, is that when you read, look up the references to sand in the Bible, and almost all of them, not all, but almost all of them, have to do with large quantities of people. I mean, uncountable numbers of people. And, And very often it has to do with the enemies in the Old Testament of the Israelites, and they would be like the sand of the seashore in, in number. Just, you just can't even count them. There's so many of them. 
The lesson, I suppose, to make it applicable would be Exodus 23 and verse 2, where the Bible says, don't follow a multitude to do evil. Some build their hopes on the ever-drifting sand. Some on their fame or their treasure or their land. Mine's on the rock that forever shall stand. Jesus, the rock of ages. So here's number one, is living on the rock. Number two is living on the sand. It may really look good. It may look good. But the fact is, it's not going to stand. It's going to fall. Here's number three, living in the storm. There are two times in your life when the wind's going to blow hard, or in, I should say rather in your existence, when the wind is going to blow very hard. The first one you may be experiencing right now, and it comes in, re- in, in relation to temptations to sin and in grief and pain that this life often has. And the question about your foundation is, is called. You, you, you have to figure out, you'll figure out when you're tested like that, how your foundation is. And some of you in this room right now are going through horrific things and it's painful and hard and, and your foundation's being tested. Will, will your house stand? Will it stand? Because it's founded on a rock. And you have, when you talk about temptations, this is a rather unique time. And I'm going to talk some more about this in another sermon. But we, we have an obvious time of shifting middle. The middle won't keep moving. I mean, it won't stop moving. And so what, what in this country used to be just a com, common cultural given about different sins and different ways of living in righteousness and Christian. People used to call this a Christian nation. They don't do that anymore. As a matter of fact, there's a, there's a great percentage of our culture now in the U.S. that finds a Christian to say you're a Christian is something that they expect you should be embarrassed about because it puts you at the radical right. There's a shifting middle, and, and our reaction to that may be that I, I really want to fit in. I don't want to be considered odd. I don't, you know, people who are on the left consider themselves very often to be enlightened, and I want to be like that. I want, to, I want people to respect me too, and there's a constant tug pulling at us. What about your foundation? How's your foundation? Because they're on the sand, you know, because it's on the sand. And the wind is blowing, and, and it's blowing right now for some of you very, very hard. And sometimes when you pray, you feel your faith straining. Is he listening? What's happening? Rain's coming. The rain's pouring down on you. The wind is blowing. The second time that the wind's going to blow very hard will be at the judgment day. The Bible says before him, will be gathered all nations, and he'll separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And what do you call that? I would say the wind is blowing. It's the time for the rain to come hard. And will your, will your house stand? I understand it's because of God's mercy and because of his grace, but of course what we're talking about here in Matthew chapter 7 is that there's going to be a distinction made. Now people are not like God, and people differentiate between other people, and sometimes we have prejudice even against other people for superficial things. God will distinguish between people in a very clear, dramatic way, and it's going to be 
a house on the rock versus a house on the sand. So when the judgment day comes, there's going to be a great wind blowing, if you please. And we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that every man may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether good or evil. The wind's going to blow and the foundation's going to be tested. That's what's going to happen. This is about Jesus. This, uh, this, this last part of the Sermon on the Mount is about the Bible And I want you to think about that because we're not just talking about any Jesus. We're not talking about just any God. We're talking about the rock of the scripture. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Bible that you have on your lap right now. That's always going to be true. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That's that's the rock, you see. It's always dependable. It's always going to be there. And he's talking about that. It's the Jesus of the Bible that we're talking about. I didn't write what I'm about to say, but I like it very much. like to think about it. To the astronomer, he's the bright and morning star. To the baker, he's the bread of life. To the educator, he's the master teacher. To the doctor, he's the great physician. To the florist, he's the lily of the valley and the rose of Sharon. To the jeweler, he's the pearl of great price. To the lawyer, he's the mighty counselor. To the soldier, he's the prince of peace. And to those of us whose houses will be tested in this life, and then once more in the judgment, he is the rock of our salvation. And the children's song then, I think, takes on a a great meaning, doesn't it? When they're little and they start doing this, we put a great emphasis around here on training our children and filling them up with the Bible. You want to know why we do that and why we're going to keep on doing that? It's because we're trying to build a foundation under them. And Romans 10 and 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the wise man built his house on the rock. And the rains came down and the floods came up. And the wise man's house stood firm. I'm so glad to see you here this morning. Is there someone who's ready to obey the gospel? Maybe you've been studying about this. I want you to take a broad view of it right now and think about the greatest, the greatest decision of your whole life. It's going to be about your house, but not, not what's decorated on the outside. It's going to be about what's underneath it. Whether or, not, whether or not it's going to be sure and strong and steadfast and dependable and whether or not it's going to, it's going to stand when the wind blows. You can obey the gospel, repent of your sins and confess Jesus and we'll immerse you in water to have your sins washed away. And if you already are a Christian, but you need to be restored and you need the prayers of the Christians, we'll be so happy to help you and pray with you. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.